Uh, I'd like to add my little welcome to you. We're glad to have you worshiping here with us today. And I am the usual preacher here in Celebration Hour, and so it's good to be with you once again. We are in the series called Overcoming. We're in the book of Judges. It's one of the most ruthless R-rated books in the Bible. And uh, it's tough. It's tough material that we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at a man that probably a lot of us are already familiar with. His name is Samson. If you grew up in the church, you were always hearing about Samson pushing the pillars, bringing the Philistines to death. And uh, I want to expand that vision and that look as to who he is because we're going to theme it all around failure, overcoming failure so that we finish strong, we finish well. All of us in this room have failed at some point or at some place. I think it was John F. Kennedy that once said, uh, success has many fathers, but uh, failure is an orphan. No one wants to claim it. But it's interesting. If you dig around, you can see a lot of great quotes on failure. Here are some of them. Michael Jordan, probably have heard of him. He said, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games, 26 times I've been uh, trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I have failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. And that's a new twist on it. How about Winston Churchill when he says, success consists of going from failure to failure without the loss of enthusiasm. Failure is simply the opportunity to begin again, this time more intelligently, Henry Ford. And this little quote, those who try to do something and fail are infinitely better than those who try to do nothing and succeed. And then this one leads us to where we want to go today. Failure, as Malcolm Forbes said, failure is success if we learn from it. We're going to learn from a man who failed a lot, but we don't normally look at Samson as a man of failure. But I will show you where those areas are, and I want to show you that the need is this, that even when we fail, and some of us fail big time, we've had some failures in our lives, we've had some failures in our church, and some families in our church that have had tremendously painful episodes of failure. But I want to show you what God does with something like that, even there, how God can work. We're talking about a man by the name of Samson. He's one of the judges that God used in the Old Testament. He is in this region of the world. You see the little blue dot on the, on the screen. It's sort of parallel there with Jerusalem on the western side of Israel. You notice the little stretch there even further off to what is your left onto the western side. This area called Philistia, this is where the Philistines live. You see Gaza at the very bottom of that Philistine. That's the territory that Samson is now going to move into and attack and he wants to destroy. The judges are there to help root out the enemy nations that are already in the nation that we now call Israel. And so Samson's job is to root out the Philistines. So the interaction you will see that Samson is involved with is attacking those who are the Philistines of the nation. And they are still, that territory is still not under much of the control of the nation of Israel. And so we were there last year. This is what it looks like. This is where Samson would have walked. Those might have been some of the sheep that he... No, they weren't there when he was there. But that is the kind of territory that Samson lived in. And we want to learn from Samson and his failure. We're going to take some snapshots. We don't have enough time to go over every amazing story, feat of power that Samson was able to display. But I want to take those little snapshots of those episodes 
teach from that the failure that is there and then we're going to go to the very positive side that even if you and I fail and some of us again we have these stories in our lives uh, that we in some cases we don't want anybody to know about it but there are the power of God to overcome failure the first area that I noticed in the failure that he had that some of us have had are failures in relationships you notice it in uh, Judges chapter 14 In fact, there is an outline that is available for you in the bulletin. You will find this to be a much more beneficial use of your time if you use that to sort of track where we're at and uh, how soon I'm going to get done. And so in Judges chapter 14, we read this in verses 1. Samson has been born. He is a Nazarite child. The, the, The pledge of to be a Nazarite means to be consecrated to be dedicated to the Lord. The Nazarite vow would typically include the fact that the person who is the Nazarite vow would not drink uh, alcohol, would not touch dead bodies, would not cut their hair. Now, Samson, the only thing that God said about him is don't cut his hair, but we would assume the other parts of the Nazarite vow are in effect. you find more about that in the Digging Deeper on the back side. But in Judges chapter 14, we jump right into the story. Samson is alive and he wants to find a wife. In verse 1 of chapter 14, Then Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Again, that little western, a little strip of land that we saw on the map. That's where he goes to find his wife. So he came back and he told his father and his mother, And I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore, get her for me as a wife. Obviously, uh, the marriage uh, uh, arrangements in those days were a little bit different than today. Not exactly e-harmony going on here. But this is what he did. He goes to the Philistines. He sees a woman. She's attractive to him. He goes back to mommy and daddy. He says, hey, I found a woman. I like her. Uh, I don't know anything about her. I haven't done any background on her. She's not on the internet. But I understand that what I like is what I see. So he says that to his mom and dad. And in verse 3, then his father, his mother said to him, is there no one among the daughters of your relatives or among all your people that you would go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? That's a slanderous comment upon this pagan group of people that worship Dagon, another god. He says, isn't there some Jewish, lovely Jewish girl that you want us to go get for you? He says, no, I want a Philistine girl. And Samson said to his father, get her for me. And here is the thing about men. For she looks good to me. She looks good to me. So I don't know, you know, ladies, whether you like it or not. That's that's sort of the way God made us. And then in verse 4. However, his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord. For he was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. Now at that time the Philistines we're ruling over Israel. They want to break the bond. Failure number one, relationships. It has to do with marriage. God has said, and you have the scripture on there, Exodus chapter 34, for example. God said, I don't want you to marry. It's against my law to marry a woman who is not Jewish. Failure of marriage is sometimes we marry the wrong person as well. Second Corinthians chapter 6, 13, 14 and 15, not going to read it, but summarize it to say this. God said, if you're a follower of Jesus, don't marry a non-follower of Jesus. You don't mix marriages of opposite faiths. That's a standard. That's the commitment. Sometimes we violate. We marry the wrong person, or we have a breakup, or we have a failure in that marriage. This marriage never did succeed. 
And sometimes marriages don't succeed. And sometimes that's part of our history. And it's a painful part of our history. But it is something that God recognizes as a failure, but it is also something that God will show us how He can rule beyond that. The second area of relationship with His parents. Mom and Dad said, Samson, uh, can't you find a good Jewish girl down the street? And he says, no, this Philistine woman looks really good to me. I want her. I don't care what you say. So in disrespect, Exodus chapter 20 says, honor your father and your mother. Ephesians chapter 6 repeats that, honor your father and your mother. There should be a respectful relationship that was not there. Failure in terms of the family makeup, the respectfulness of the relationships, failure. That's Samson. We also know another area of failure is anger. He had an anger problem. He was out of control. I think there's aspects about Samson's life that he was kind of ADD, ADHD, because he had a hard time focusing. He'd get distracted by something else. So he goes to Timnah. He finds this woman. And just to summarize the, the remaining portion of 14, he goes there and then he returns. And on one of the journeys that he is going, he is attacked by a lion. And most of us who were attacked by a lion were dead. For Samson, he's attacked by a lion and the Spirit of God is upon him and he tears apart the lion. He literally rips him apart. Muscle and bones. And then he travels on. He didn't tell his parents about that. And then as he travels on, he comes back. They have some sort of a wedding ceremony of sorts there in Timnah. Uh, but then Samson gets distracted because he has this riddle. The riddle is, and he offers this riddle, what is sweeter than honey, what is stronger than a lion? And what they don't realize is that he had returned, he found honey in this carcass of the lion, he ate that honey. So he says, what is sweeter than honey, what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. So they found out the riddle. So he had to go get some 30 garments of clothes to be able to give to them because that was sort of the gamble that he had. What is sort of amazing is how he refers to his sort of wife. They had used his wife, sort of like his wife, not quite his full wife, and through her determined what the riddle was all about. And then he says, if you had not plowed with my heifer, referring to his new wife, and oh, by the way, guys, it's typically not very good to refer to your wife as a heifer. They probably don't take kindly to that. So Samson obviously needed to have premarital counseling before he went into this relationship. But they did that, and so they found out about that. And so he had to go, and he had to slaughter three, uh, uh, 30 people of the Philistines to get enough garments to give those 30 pieces of garments to those who solved the riddle. Now, as a result of all that, where I wanted to land is in Exodus 14, where it talks about his tremendous anger in verse 19. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily and he went down to Ashkelon and he killed 30 of them because he needed their clothing because that was the gamble. I'll give you 30 pieces of clothing or you give me 30 pieces of clothing if you don't solve the riddle. And so they gave the change of the clothes to those who told the riddle. And there's something very bizarre. I have to give you 30 pieces of clothes so I'm going to kill 30 men. I'm going to take, de- <laughs> take off the dead body these clothes and give it to you. You know, this is just a whole nother world, isn't it? I mean, it's just, just unbelievable what's going on here. But in 1419, it says, and his anger burned and he went up to his father's house. Now he went up to the father's house and it says in verse 20, 
But Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his friend. But after a while, in the time of the wheat harvest, Samson visited his wife with a young goat. That's what they did. We're going to come. We're going to consummate this marriage. It was never consummated. And I will go into my wife in her room for the first time. We don't know how much time, but obviously weeks have passed. But a father did not let him enter. And a father said, I really thought that you hated her intensely. So I gave what was to be his wife to your friend. Now, not, is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please let her take her instead. I mean, this is just a, a bizarre world. Okay, uh, I know you had the big ceremony. Never consummated it. You got distracted with the honey and the lion. You come back with the goat. Thanks for the goat. What a wonderful wedding present. But I'm sorry that I gave your wife to your friend. Now, how would you feel if you show up at the altar the day you're going to get married and your best friend standing there in your place? Well, that's what happened to Samson. Well, Samson's a man, and he doesn't like that. He's pretty jealous of her. And so he says in verse 3 of 15, This time I shall be blameless in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. And Samson went and caught 300 foxes uh, and tied them together, put torches on their tail, put one torch in the middle of each of the two fox, uh, the tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he released the foxes into the standing grain of the Philistines, thus burning up both the shocks and the standing grain, along with the vineyards and the groves. And so he creates this firestorm because he's so angry. He's got this sense of revenge that is coming upon him, and he wants to attack. And here is, you know, remember the story of that poor Jordanian pilot that was burned to death? You wonder, where, where, does, a, where does that come? In America, we just can't fathom that people would do that. Go to the Middle East. Notice in verse 6. Then the Philistines said, Who did this? Who burned our grain? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite. Again, recognizing he is the son-in-law. He, he really was married, but she was given to someone else. Because he took his wife and gave her to his companion. Notice what the Philistines did, this ruthless group of people in the Middle East. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. Torched them. You know, it's just a whole other world. Just the brutality of all that that's taking place. And then verse 7, Then Samson said to them, Since you act like this, I will surely take revenge on you, but after that I will quit. There was something very distracting, very emotional, very, very strong anger and a spirit of revenge that is deep-seated in Samson, that is coming out in ways that is causing this terrible destruction upon what was to be his wife, his father-in-law, and this, this whole community just torn up because Samson is going in and intruding in and he disobeyed God to marry the wrong woman. And then the consequences of this domino effect of all the destruction that follows that. Failure just leads to failure. And you see this destructive way that is going on. There's failure to lead in righteousness. In verse 9, the Philistines went up and camped in Judah and spread out in Lehi. They don't like this guy, Samson. And the men of Judah said, why did you come up against us? And they said, we have come up to bind Samson in order to take him as he did to us. And the 3,000 men of Judah went up to the cleft of the rock of Edom and said to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And, they, and as they did to me, Samson said, I have done to them. And so they said, we have come down to bind you so that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. 
And he said, swear to me you will not kill me. Here's, here's what I see about that that I don't like. Samson is to challenge those people to stand up to the enemy of the Philistines. Samson is recognizing within these men of Judah who have surrendered themselves, assimilated themselves, acquiesced themselves to the power of a pagan, godless nation. Samson, as the judge, is to rally the people to oppose and defeat the enemy, not the spirit of surrender. We give up. I can't do anything about it. So I might as well acquiesce. I might as well just hang out and not fight at all. Samson is the judge, as all the judges were like Gideon, who would rally the troops and defeat the enemy. What I see as a failure here is a failure to lead this nation against the enemy forces. And we can be like that. We can compromise. We can acquiesce. We can just give up. We can surrender the world. Oh, well, that's the way the world is. I guess there's nothing I can do about my problems. I can do nothing about my sins. I can do nothing about the failures that's around me. That's a terrible spirit where God challenges us to step up by the power of God to do His will. There's also this tremendous obvious failure in sexual immorality that is taking place. In Judges 16, we see this tragic thing that is occurring here. In 16.1, Samson goes down to Gaza. Remember, Gaza is part of that Philistine strip, that part on the western shore that you still hear about even today. Now, Samson went down to Gaza. He saw a harlot there, and he went into her. And it was told to the Gezites, saying, Samson has come here. They surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. And they kept silent all night, saying, Let us wait until morning light, and then we will kill him. So the reputation of Samson, the judge of God, the Jewish man, this Israelite, that is to be a follower of, of Jehovah God, the reputation in Gaza is this guy's hanging out with a prostitute. He's spitting all night with a harlot. And here he is in bed at night with this other woman. And he lay there until midnight in verse 3. And at midnight he arose and he took hold of the doors of the city gate and the two posts. He pulled them up along with the bars and then he put them on his shoulders and carried them up to the top of the mountain which is opposite Hebron. We don't know where that is but there is a mountain that they claim is the place. These doors are like two to three stories high. And he pulls the post out. This is a strong man. So he goes in midnight before daylight so that they can't kill him. But here's the thing that is so irritating about this. That Samson, this mighty man, this Nazarite, committed, consecrated Nazarite vow. He's with a prostitute. Would you have hired me? On my resume, I say, I occasionally visit a prostitute. You mean you might have? Uh, no, okay. We see these things. And we say, man, it, if he were in our church, he, he wouldn't be a pastor. He wouldn't be an elder. He, he, he'd be in the back somewhere and we'd be disciplining him. But this is Samson. And then Samson moves on from there. He escapes that. No consequence, just moves on. And then he goes back to his area of the world and he encounters this woman that we all know, Delilah. 
The name Delilah is variously interpreted as to be a flirter or of the night or of darkness or devotee. There's various terms for that. We don't know if she's Philistine. She probably is Philistine or at least friendly with the Philistines. Maybe she's Jewish. Maybe she's half Jewish. Maybe she's part Canaanite. In any case, he sees Delilah and there is an attraction there. Samson's biggest weakness is a woman. Bigger than just being a woman is a woman with tears. Samson's heart is crushed when a woman cries. For all that power to, to rip apart a lion, to tear off the three-story towering doors, to rip off cords that tie him down at night, his weakness is another woman. And so he goes into Delilah. We all know the story, somewhat familiar with it. Let me summarize it very quickly. He goes into Delilah. And Delilah is then paid a lot of money to find out the secret of his power. The first time he says, well, if you tie me up with these special cords that come out of animal, animal gut, then I cannot, I lose my power. So she ties him up and the Philistines rush in, but he breaks the ties and he defeats them again. Another night, tie me up with fresh rope. And uh, that will hold me. So she ties him up in the middle of the night. They rush in. He breaks them. Then he says, another night, if you put seven, uh, uh, what do you call it, seven type of a wrapped up of his hair. There's a term for that when you wrap up the hair. Braids. There you go. Thank you. Uh, Because he had long flowing hair. So if you braided his hair seven times, then I would lose my power, he says to Delilah. She does that in the middle of the night, and they rush in. Now, there's, now, just think about it. The first time, okay, yeah, okay, you know, okay, I know, I know what you're up to, Delilah. But the third time, and she keeps on doing this thing, and they keep on rushing in, and and then Delilah does what what good women should never do. She nags him. She nags him and nags him and nags him, and he's just like he's ready to die. And it says in verse 15, Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? (laughs) How how upside down is this world? You love me, but I'm trying to kill you. Come on, this isn't fair. What kind of marriage is this? Let me kill you. It's just insane. So you think about it in the real world that we live in. You've deceived me three times. So I haven't been able to kill you. It's just, what, what fun is that? What kind of marriage is that? And you've not told me where your strength is. And it came about that she pressed him daily with her words and urged him. That's nagging. It's nagging. And his soul was annoyed to death. You see, ladies, don't nag your husband. It annoys us to death. And so he told her, and he says, put a razor, and razor never come to my head. I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I'll become weak and be like any other man. And indeed, see, Samson, I don't know if it's an addiction. I don't know what's going on in his heart. He knew that that was the secret of his power. He was born with that. He was reared with that all of his life with that. He'd never had his hair cut. It had to be very, very long. For 20 years, Samson rules over these people. And for some reason, he surrenders to the nagging of this Delilah, whoever she is. 
On the fourth attempt, he actually confesses the source of his strength. On the fourth attempt, he actually gives up. He quits. And he allows that hair to be cut in the middle of the night, sleeping on her lap. It's just like staggering. Why do we do the things we do that we know are so wrong? Why are we still compelled to do what's wrong? And this is Samson, this, this terrible, terrible addiction to a nagging woman. And it's, he has his hair cut. They rush in. They take him. They bring him to their temple, to their God. And it says in verse 21, Then the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes. They brought him down to Gaza, bound him with bronze chains, and he was in the grinder in the prison. And there he would grind whatever they would grind in the grinder. It's not coffee. It's this big grinder. And he becomes nothing but an imprisoned slave. These are terrible things. And so bad was it in verse 23 and 24 at the end. Notice, I just put these on the screen. Now the lords of the Philistines assembled to offer great sacrifice to Dagon, their God. And to rejoice, for they said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And when the people saw it, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hands, and even the destroyer of our country, who has slain many of us. And perhaps the most grievous sin is that the failures of Samson tarnished the name of our God and exalted the pagan God of the Philistines. That's the worst. That when you and I fail, it's not just us. It's the reputation of our God that is now being brought low by a world that does not believe in Him. So failures, they're painful. Speaking of painful, let me show you this x-ray. No, that's not my head. But here's a fellow by the name of Lee Fuyan, I think is how you pronounce that. Some years ago, I think it was about four or five years ago, Lee Fuyan was attacked, and they treated him, and then he thought it was okay, but he kept on having these severe headaches. He couldn't figure out why. For four years, he had this tremendous pain in his head and couldn't figure it out, so he finally went to the doctor, and the doctor took an x-ray. That's the x-ray. And the doctor says, well, it looks like when you were attacked, whoever attacked you stabbed you in the head with a knife and broke off four inches of that knife, and it's still in your head. Well, that's pretty bizarre. But here's the reason I share that with you, to get your attention. How many of us have a pain inside of us that if God to shine His x-ray on us and bring to light the pain that is in us, and why do I have this pain? Why does this hurt? Why does, why does my life hurt so much? And that if God did his spiritual x-ray, what would he find when he opens up and looks inside as to the source of the pain? And my appeal this morning is that could it be one of these failures or others that I am refusing to acknowledge as the source of my pain? So I want us to be honest with the failures that we may have had so that God can be blessing us to move beyond it, learn from it. Here are the things that God teaches us. God helps us to overcome those failures, and He does a mighty work. The first thing that I notice that happens, and I just look at the bigger picture, is that God 
God's grace can overcome our failures to cause a greater good in ways that we just cannot fathom when we're in the midst of it. This is what I see happening in Samson's life. It's just an incredible thing. It's repeated over and over, but let me show you one example of it. Early on, when he saw this woman, he says, go get that woman. I like her. I like the way she looks. Mom and dad says, no, you shouldn't do that. Get a good Jewish girl down the street. He says, no, I want her. She's very pretty to me. Notice what God said, his little, little phrase here. However, his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord. I'm not here to excuse sin. I'm not here to defend Samson. All I'm here is to say this, that some of us have had some significantly painful failures. And there's something that God loves to do in overriding that pain and causing good to come out of it. For we know that God causes all things to work all things, not righteous things, sinful things. God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, those who are called according to His purpose. If there is a reality that comes out of the life of Samson and his serial failures that he had, including going to a harlot, God rules beyond that with His grace. A couple of observations. God's good may not be visible. If you look at Samson when he's in bed with that harlot, is any good? Can you see any good coming out of that when he's there? No. But in time, God does a work. But God's good requires us to take a step back and see the bigger picture of all that God wants to do in life. And that's hard for us to see. What's the bigger picture for, for Samson? The bigger picture is not... He was with a harlot here. He had anger there. He had revenge over there. He was touching the dead carcass of a lion. And as a Nazarite, you don't touch dead bodies. God overruled those things because the bigger picture is, Samson, you are here to destroy and defeat the Philistines. That's the bigger picture. I'm not going to get caught up in all your stumbles along the way. If on large, in the large view... You're accomplishing my greater will. One of the great examples of that is Johnny Erickson Tata. She was a woman that was paralyzed when she was 17. And here she is as uh, probably, I don't know, in her 50s or her 60s at this point. But notice what she said about that tragic thing. After I broke my neck in 1967 diving accident, I learned I would be paralyzed for the rest of my life. I was convinced my life was not worth living. See, when you reach this point... I want to give up because what good could ever come from it? Had it been legal, most people would have thought that euthanasia was a rational choice for me, a depressed 17-year-old quadriplegic waning away in a hospital for almost two years. And here in the state of California, there's going to be a bunch of people pushing for euthanasia. Give up. When you reach a point in life that it just looks like it's a total failure, give up. That's not God's way, as she goes on to say. However, time... That prized commodity which is forever lost after you die taught me how precious life really is. And evil with hands that didn't work and feet that don't walk. Now decades later, millions of people have been encouraged because of our ministry for special needs families at Johnny and Friends International Disability Center. If I had chosen death, none of that could have happened. When we are prone to stop and quit and say, God, I've made a mess of life. There's nothing I can do about it. I might as well call it quits. Even suicide 
I can't do anything about this. It's at that point God begins to step up and does some of his greatest work. To bring about a good that when Johnny Erickson was 17, she never would have fathomed the good that God did. And for some of us, whatever the failures are, there's a good that God can do that you can't fathom. You can't see it. Life is unfair. But you need to take a step back and you need to see that the hand of God is all-powerful, all-gracious to make something good come out of that. And that's the message of Samson. Another message that comes out of you need to believe in Jesus. Confess that sin. Don't wallow in the sin. Get rid of the sin. Let it be washed away by you. Samson had this tremendous spirit power that came to him on occasion. That's why he could rip apart the lion. That's why he could peel off the cords and the rope. God's Spirit would come upon him in a moment and give him power. Notice in 14.6, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily so that he tore him as one tears a young. In 14.19, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. He went down to Ashkelon, killed 30. It goes on. Judges 15.4, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily so that he had caused the ropes to drop from his hands. The Spirit of God kept coming upon Samson even in his failure so that the power of God can help him accomplish the greater good that God wants him to do. You and I have a Spirit that comes in us and stays there, doesn't leave us, not like Samson. We have that same Spirit in us if we're a believer and we've confessed our sins to Jesus. He saved us not on the basis of the deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration, renewing by the Holy Spirit. I believe in Jesus. I confess my sins to Jesus. The Spirit of God comes and cleanses it like it never existed. It's gone. It's a miracle. And that same Spirit lives in us who have followed Jesus, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's the same Spirit that caused Samson to rip apart the lion, to to shred off the cords of death, that same Spirit can be in us. And we can walk in the power of the Spirit. But notice that God sometimes humbles us. Sometimes that pride, that self-arrogance, that self-delusion, like with Delilah Samson, what are you doing? That blindness to this terrible temptation and immorality, sometimes that blindness that is spiritual, has to become physical. For Samson, it became physical. He had his eyes gouged out. And for us, God sometimes humbles us. He physically humbles us so that we say, God, now I've got to really trust you. And that's a tough place to live. But I'm telling you, that's what God does. Did it with Paul. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. And he said, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so the power of Christ may dwell in me. If there's a lesson that comes from Samson, it's God's grace rules beyond my failure. As I believe in Jesus, His Spirit gives me power. But there are occasions where God says, physically, I know that you're in pain, or emotionally, I know you're in pain, but use that as a dependency upon my power that will help you overcome that. And finally, here's the bottom line. Once I recognize the reality of what I'm dealing with, the source of my pain, the failure that I have committed, I'm honest with God about it. His grace is going to rule I believe in Jesus. Humble me if you need to. 
but I'm trusting you. And so ask God, ask God this for a blessing to say, God, I messed up. These have been problems in my life. I don't want to live that way. I'm not going to give up like Johnny Erickson. I'm going to see some good come out of it. I just got to trust you in time. You're going to reveal that to me. Now give me another chance to show your, show myself as one who is worthy of being called your child. Let me finish well. And that's what Samson did. It says, Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me. Please strengthen me just this time, O God, that I may at once be avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. As he pushed the pillars and they collapsed and more Philistines died in his closing act of sacrifice than ever died in all the accumulative total before that. Because the big picture for Samson is, I am here to defeat the enemy called the Philistines. His final act was pushing those pillars so they collapsed and thousands of Philistines died. God granted his final one request of surrender. One great example of that, the final days of Kayla Mueller, killed by ISIS, held captive in Syria. Sweet young girl from Prescott, Arizona, had gone over there to work with the Syrian refugees and care for those in need. Here's what she wrote home to mom and dad when she was held captive for something like 12 or 15 months. I remember my mom always telling me that all in all, in the end, the only one you really have is God. I've come to a place to an experience where in every sense of the word, I've surrendered myself to our Creator because literally there is no one else. By your prayers, I have felt tenderly cradled in a free fall. Again, she's in a Syrian prison by ISIS. And she concludes... I've been shown in darkness light. And I've learned that even in prison, one can be free. I'm grateful. I've come to see that there is good in every situation. There is good. Romans 8, 28, there's good. Even in failure, even imprisonment. Good in every situation. Sometimes we just have to look for it. I pray that each day that if nothing else... You have felt a certain closeness and surrender to God. There's an attitude that God invites us into where we say, Lord, the pain of my failures overwhelms me, but now I turn to you. I ask of your grace and your strength in all that we do. And it's a beautiful picture when you think about Samson. Those outstretched arms, the pillars on either side, he says, God, give me one more chance to show you that I have what it takes to follow you. And he calls upon God and God blesses him as his hair had grown. And the grace of her growing hair is the grace of growing power in Solomon, in Samson's life. And he pushes on those pillars. And the harder he pushes, the greater the strength that is coming to his arms as those pillars of outstanding outstretched arms collapse them. And the Philistines fall to their death and his final act of self-sacrifice that gives him the greatest victory that he could have ever had as a follower of God is so much like the outstretched arms of Christ as he extends those hands on that cross and he says, I have extended, I have given my very best, I have sacrificed all that I have for you. And I invite you to come into my life. Trust me with whatever the failure, with whatever the sin, no matter the consequences, let me show you the good I can do for you. 
And that's the invitation. One of the great ways that we express gratitude to God is through communion. Communion is that element, that bread and that cup that allows us to really reflect upon who He is and what He's done for us. Those outstretched arms, that piercing of the hands is His self-sacrifice, His death in our place so that we can be forgiven by God. And as the elements are prepared, as the leaders gather the bread together and they bring them down the aisle in a moment, I want you to reflect upon maybe some of the failures, some of the pain, the the x-ray of God. If there's something there that I need to say, God, forgive me, cleanse me, empower me, help me to overcome it, let me see your grace through it, the good that you want to do, ask God for that. And as the bread is passed and the song is sung, would you just reflect what is God teaching you that His grace will overcome for you? Let me pray. Father, help us now as we bow before You. And as we come to You, God, we need Your grace. We want to see Your goodness. We want to believe that You're an all-powerful God that's going to make good come out of all our failures of life. And when we recognize the source of the pain, we confess it to You. God, Your grace is available to forgive us of all wrongdoing so that you can masterfully bring us to the point of victory. Father, help us as we call upon you so we finish strong, we finish well. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.